The Talking Points podcast is produced in partnership with C. Michael Gibson and clinicaltrialresults.org. Hi, Mike Gibson and Deepak Bot coming to you virtually from AHA 2020. And we're talking about diabetics with worsening heart failure and the soloist in score studies, looking at this group of people, more and more diabetics, more and more people with heart failure out there, Deepak. Talk to us a little bit about what you found. Absolutely. So soloist and score were two paired trials studying sodagliflozin, an SGLT2 inhibitor that's also an SGLT1 inhibitor. As everybody knows at this point in time, SGLT2 inhibition leads to glucose elimination via the urine. SGLT1 leads to glucose metabolism and absorption being affected in the digestive system, such that there's uh, essentially net loss of glucose that way. And that is a renally independent mechanism of action. So uh, potentially a real benefit in patients with impaired GFR where we know the SGLT2 inhibitors might have clinical utility in terms of reducing heart failure or kidney outcomes, but not so much in terms of actually reducing the glucose, the primary reason many primary care physicians and endocrinologists use diabetes drugs. So at any rate, um, that's what the drug is that we studied, two trials uh, going along well, uh, scored, uh, enrolled its goal of over 10,000 patients. Uh, Soloist uh, got to 1,000, we did want to enroll more. Uh, but both trials actually fell victim to the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, I've spoken about COVID-19 before and, and the uh, human uh, toll that it's taking, but uh, there's also a toll in terms of trials. And, and uh, you know, these two trials were being run by a small company or funded by a small company, uh, COVID-19 onset uh, around March, and then, you know, things just... Uh, fell apart in terms of their inability to secure funding to continue the trials. But, you know, we did the right thing. We closed out the trials in a safe, orderly fashion, and then analyzed the data to see what we got. So uh, let me tell you what we got. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for soloists, again, over a thousand patients with acute decompensated heart failure, all of whom have diabetes, randomized to sodagliflozin or placebo, we saw a significant reduction, about a 33% relative risk reduction in the composite of total events consisting of cardiovascular death, hospitalization for heart failure, and urgent heart failure visits. Uh, strongly statistically significant. Uh, also, absolute risk reduction quite large. A number needed to treat of only four patients for one year to prevent one of those events. The benefits kicked in super early, statistically significant by a month from the time of randomization. The results were consistent in the about half of patients that we randomized prior to discharge with that admission with acute decompensated heart failure, and the other half were randomized in the next three days after discharge. So uh, pretty early after that admission, we did stabilize the patients first. So these weren't patients on oxygen or inotropes or like that. They had to be transitioning from IV to oral diuretics. So in the hospital stabilized and randomized either shortly before discharge or shortly thereafter with consistent benefits in both those subgroups. And, uh, you know, Deepak, let me ask you an odd question, but you know, when you take a statin, 
you upregulate uh, the absorption of cholesterol. Zetamibe is the perfect combination of that because it inhibits GI absorption. Uh, so we often use those in combination. Let me ask you a question out of left field. Is there any benefit of combining, uh, you know, the two classes of drugs, the one that makes you excrete glucose in the urine, which may, I don't know, may increase your absorption and then coupling with that, the, with the drug you just talked about to impair absorption? Is there any thought of a combo? That's a great idea and question. And uh, we didn't really have enough patients on GOP-1 agonists to answer that specifically. Um, but there's a lot of theoretical appeal to that. Uh, the one downside, of course, is that both are uh, still relatively expensive in most regions of the world. But uh, scientifically speaking, a very appealing combo. And other trials that have looked at that subgroup, again, small numbers of patients to date, it, there's no reason to think they're anything other than complementary. Some have said synergistic. I think there we would need more data and more prospective data, but at a minimum complementary. That is one isn't taking away from the potential benefits of the other. And if cost is not an issue, I really think most patients with diabetes would likely benefit from being on both. The other thing that we saw in Solus that's worth commenting upon is we saw a significant reduction in that primary endpoint in our stratification variable of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. So for the first time, we've shown with an SGLT2 inhibitor, of course, this was also an SGLT1 inhibitor, uh, a significant benefit in heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. So uh, that's really the first SGLT2 inhibitor to do it, and perhaps the first drug to do it, because of course, there have been tantalizing suggestions, such as from the mineral corticoid receptor antagonist, um, yeah, maybe sacubutyl uh, valsartan, but, but nobody's really uh, totally nailed that down. And of course, there are other trials going on with EMPA and DAPA for HEPTAP that will hopefully uh, also be positive. I predict they will, but, but I think this is our first uh, sort of foray with this drug class into that area. Yeah, there's been a lot of confusion, I would say, and speculation, I would say, about the mechanism of action in, in improving heart failure outcomes. I don't know what it means, people calling it a smart diuretic. Um, some of the other interesting thoughts I've heard tossed around are, are you favorably improving myocardial energetics uh, in these people? What would be the putative mechanism of benefits in the SGLT1 class? Is it the same or different? Terrific question. I, I think in part it is, you know, the increased elimination of glucose and the concomitant weight loss and blood pressure reductions. I do think the improved myocardial energetics described with SGLT2 inhibitors are probably playing a role as well. There are Mendelian randomization data published in JAK with respect to SGLT1 showing that uh, mutations associated essentially with lower levels or inhibition pharmacologically speaking would be the equivalent are associated with lower atherosclerotic risk factors which might then, you know, over time influence atherosclerotic risk. And, um, you know, I'll come back to that point in SCORE uh, in a moment when we discuss that trial. But the one other point I'll make since you venture down this uh, pathway of combo therapy, in Soloist, about two thirds of the patients were on mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists. And, you know, of course that part's not randomized, but the combination looked pretty good. Uh, so, you know, I mentioned that just because there were some data that came out for phenerone that also looked pretty good, uh, you know, so in the future, uh, you know, that, those might be really appealing combinations. 
pretty good as in a little bit better or pretty good as in a positive interaction term, DPOC? Well, uh, patients, uh, yes, but those patients on an MRA or not on an MRA both had a uh, benefit that was consistent, statistically speaking. I see. For what it's worth, and I don't want to necessarily go in that direction, the hazard ratio was numerically lower in those two-thirds of patients on an MRA. The confidence intervals in that subgroup didn't cross unity. But again, with multiple subgroup comparisons, sure. I don't know that I go so far as to say other than it looked pretty good to in a combo. Sure. And let's move on to SCORE. Talk to us a little bit about that study. Absolutely. So this was a parallel trial of sort of the flows in, but now in outpatients with diabetes and chronic kidney disease. And over 10,000 patients uh, enrolled, our target goal, our hope had been to follow them for several years, the follow-up was truncated. But uh, again, I think because of the strong treatment effect, there was a very significant reduction in the same endpoint I mentioned, the total composite of cardiovascular deaths hospitalizations for heart failure and urgent heart failure visits. And I should just say, just to get that dismissed right off the bat, if you don't like total events and like first events, those endpoints were positive in both trials. If you don't like urgent heart failure, you can take it out, the endpoint remains positive. So, you know, those little things ended up not mattering. But um, can, anyway, I ask, can I ask you a question though, Deepak? As a trialist, this is a question that always fascinates me. Pretty much every trial I've ever seen, the total event or time to any event analysis is always more statistically robust than the time to first event analysis. Did that happen here as well? Yeah, it did because we had a lot more events. And we actually changed the endpoints while blinded, totally kosher to do that, um, when the trials ended prematurely because we were afraid we were going to be way underpowered. And, uh, I purposely said, look, let's switch to total events. But in fact, I had been advocating for total events even at the outset of the trial. Uh, right. But the initial sponsor was a little nervous, said, well, will FDA like total events? Of course, since that time, lots of people have been doing total events and some have even been taken forth uh, in front of the FDA. But, um, but my feeling is, yes, you get a lot more power in, in some circumstances, not always, because if you've got you know, an anti-thrombotic, for example, it, you're studying and the patient has an event and then they go off the drug because maybe they're bleeding or because of an ischemic event and then they're starting on an open label antithrombotic. So, you know, the AFib or DAP trials, you know, that sort of approach could backfire. So it depends on the exact drug, its side effects, its efficacy, might there be legacy effects uh, and the exact indication being studied. So I, I wouldn't say it's always the case that total events are better. But, but actually, Deepak, in Triton with Prazagril, it was more powerful looking at all MIs uh, or, or all events. That's an antiplatelet. And in Trilogy... Yes, in Trilogy, I'm yeah, the guy that put yeah, that it, in the abstract there. I was the one advocating for total events. No, yeah. I'm a believer for a while. But it's just that sometimes, you know, not, not everyone's a believer. Sometimes people critique because the first event can modify what happens to the therapy. And, and therefore, you know, it, the second event may not be totally independent. But, but I think for atherosclerotic trials and heart failure trials in general, it's the way to go. Yeah. And you're right, it may even extend in some cases uh, to antithrombotic trials. So talk to us a little bit more about SCORE before I got you off track there. Oh, no, that was a good off track. I mean, it's important for us to think about, right? Because, you know, we could have potentially done this trial 
uh, with a smaller sample size than we started uh, and therefore more cost effectively and therefore do more trials, you know, had we actually uh, thought about that at the outset. As I said, I thought about it and wanted to do it, but we sort of uh, outvoted at that point. Sure. Um, now other things about SCORE that are worth noting, we also looked at MACE. There was a significant reduction in MACE. And as a post-hoc analysis, we looked at total fatal or non-fatal MI and total fatal or non-fatal stroke, and each was significantly reduced uh, by about 32 and 34%. Uh, so uh, large relative risk reductions. And again, for MACE, at least for total MACE, uh, the curves in this stable outpatient population diverged pretty early by about three months, uh, which is when the heart failure also diverged in the stable population in solace, it was a month. But here, by three months, both heart failure-related endpoints and MACE-related endpoints were significantly reduced. So again, oh, pretty early benefit. Yeah, so if you thought, oh, look, this patient, maybe I'll start him you know, six months from now when I see him again, in fact, you would be not preventing some events that you could have prevented. Now, the number needed to treat was larger and scored about 50 for heart failure events versus the four and so list, but nevertheless, uh, uh, very statistically significant findings. And the stroke finding, that's the first time an SGLT2 inhibitor has been shown to reduce stroke. So that's also quite novel, I believe. Deepak, where, where are we going to go with this drug? Uh, you know, I know the sponsor ran out of resources. Uh, given the positive results, do you think they could resuscitate their efforts? And I think so. Them? You know, the one other thing I didn't mention, uh, especially I think this is relevant from an approvability perspective and potentially uh, useful then to patients, uh, regardless of the endpoints that I mentioned, and maybe specific to the SGLT1 part of this drug, is that we looked and scored at those patients um, with GFR above or below 30. And even those patients with a GFR less than 30, there was a statistically significant reduction in hemoglobin A1C, which the SGLT2 inhibitors, as we were discussing earlier, they, they don't really work so well for lowering glucose. They, they may lower clinical events, but they may uh, in general not lower glucose to the degree we saw here. So for that primary care physician or endocrinologist who has a patient, with advanced CKD, they need better glycemic control for the benefits that provides, and they want a safe and effective way to do it. Well, you know, now we potentially have something here. So I think that the drug, I mean, one can't predict. I think it'll be approvable. Uh, we've got two separate trials, a ton of safety data. It looks really good, overall tolerated, and as safe as placebo when one looks at treatment emergent adverse events. Yeah, it has some side effects like all the other SGLT2 inhibitors, but doctors know about those. A little bit of excess diarrhea probably from the SGLT1, but from what I can tell, it has all the signs of approvability. And you know, when I shared the data with the company, they said, wow, that's pretty good data. And I encourage them uh, to file for FDA approval, and I think they will. So uh, I'm optimistic, but you know, we'll see what happens in that regard. Just a curious question, was there any weight loss uh, in the active group? Yes, a statistically significant reduction in weight, uh, significant reduction in the systolic blood pressure as well, uh, diastolic blood pressure also. So um, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it seems to have all the benefits that SGLT2 inhibitors have. The only extra side effect it has is about it, uh, you know, the diarrhea in the placebo arm was like 6% with soda glucose was like 8%. So it went from, you know, six to eight, not really that big a deal, but it was a statistically significant difference and almost certainly has to do with the SGLT1 effect. But, yeah. um, 
you know, it seems at a minimum to be at least a really good SGLT2 inhibitor, and it does appear to have a bit more than that. Great. Well, Deepak, congratulations on uh, another successful trial. Thanks for sharing uh, your knowledge as always with us today. And thanks to all of you joining us here virtually from the comfort of your own home for AHA 2020. Thanks so much, Mike.